Turn your Bible, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30. I'm going to read just one verse here and uh, preach for a while tonight. And uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30 says, The fruit of, righteous, of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. I'm going to expand and touch on some different things. We're going to preach on soul winning to start with, of course, and uh, kind of move through there to uh, the whole need of the country and what we have. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd guide my mind, lead and guide as I preach, direct my mind, help me to say what I should, leave out what I shouldn't. Pray the time would be used effectively. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd speak to hearts. Pray you'd give young people and uh, all of us a burden and a desire, the wisdom to lead souls to Christ, a burden for the lost, a burden for our country, a burden for your work. Help people to catch your burden, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the uh, Bible says again, Proverbs 11.30, He that winneth souls is wise. Now, being wise, a lot of different things, and different people have wisdom. We recognize wisdom and different things. I don't know everything involved with being wise. One of the things that's involved in being a wise person is taking the long look, not just going for the immediate or the uh, immediate gratification or the immediate fun, the immediate pleasure. Uh, you know, I'm going to spend my, every dollar I get, I'm going to spend. I'm going to max out my credit cards, and I'm having it. But, you know, all that doesn't work out in the long run. And uh, so many different areas in life, uh, we often choose or we're tempted to choose. Uh, Satan will try and get you to choose something that will be fun for a little bit, a little bit of fun, a little bit of, a little bit of gratification, and, uh, or maybe even a lot of fun. But it's just for a moment. Uh, wisdom in all kinds of areas takes a long look. It doesn't look at what's going to happen today or what's going to happen this week. It'll take the long look, and that's true in anything. If you're building a business, if you're uh, working with people, if you're making investments or whatever you're trying to do, any area of life, uh, you want to take the long look and consider what's going to happen at the end rather than what's happening at the beginning. You look at the Bible and you think about Abraham and Lot. Abraham and Lot. Lot was an example of a foolish man when he made his decision. You know, they're looking up there, looking over the plains of Jordan, looking over everything, and Lot looks out and he says, man, I see the well-watered plains of Jordan. This looks like a good place to make money. This will be great. I'll be able to get wealthy. I'll have all this. But he forgot about where he was moving. And he set his face towards Sodom. Abraham said, I think I'll just stick with God. We may be out here in the country. We may not have much. Lot wound up penniless. I mean, I mean, he left, and he, I mean, he had nothing, and he lost his wife, and he lost a relationship with the children and the immorality and everything that was involved there. I mean, Lot lost everything in the long run. In the short run, it looked, out, looked pretty good. And maybe did give him some fun, a good time or whatever. And at one point, he was a leader in the city and respected in the city. He was sitting in the gate, position of leadership there. But didn't turn out well in the long run. Abraham was much better off in the long run. I want to challenge you today you know, to think about not just what's going to happen immediately in your life, but what's going to happen in the long run. And if uh, you put that with most any of the preaching on any topic uh, that we do as preachers, you know, we're urging you to take the long look. 
And uh, look at what's going to make a difference over the long haul. Uh, Jacob and Esau. Esau sold his birthright out for a bowl of pottage. Stew. So, I mean, I don't know what. It probably tasted good. Jacob said, I'm in. I'll do without. I'll go hungry for a while. <laughs> I'm better off in the long run. Wise people don't consider uh, you know, the short term, they consider the long run. I remember when I was turning a teenager or someplace, early teen years, and I don't remember the details of it all, but I remember my dad saying to him, my dad was unsaved at that point. I worked and prayed and witnessed to him. Brother Hiles finally led my dad to the Lord, personally went out to his house, led him to the Lord, June 16th, 1982, we had his funeral, October 12th, 1980. October 16th, he died the 12th funeral, four months to the day after Brother Hiles led my dad to the Lord. But as an unsaved damn man, my dad said, son, talk to me. He said, son, you're a bright young man. You got a great future in front of you. You can do whatever you want in life. And that's true of every one of you. You can do whatever you want in life. He said, don't throw it all away for a few minutes of pleasure in the back seat of a car someplace. That was my unsaved dad. He's saying, take the long look. Don't look at the immediate. You want to take the long look. And uh, that's what wisdom does. It's not about the immediate. You know, the person that's wise, according, but then the Bible says, Proverbs 11.30, he that when his souls is wise. According to the word of God, Wise person in your town isn't the banker. Wise person in your town isn't the university professor. Wise person in your town isn't the wealthy millionaire. The wise person in your town is not the doc. The wise person in your town is a soul winner. He that wineth souls is wise. You'll be counted wise, you better become a soul winner. When you lead somebody to Christ, you change somebody's eternal destiny. I remember going out as I was getting started in soul winning, and I wasn't reared in a, I was reared in a Lutheran church. I had a mother that taught me to, that the King James Bible was the preserved, inspired Word of God. Taught me it was true. Taught me that I was saved by grace through faith. But beyond that, I didn't get much training. But I started getting older, teen years, got into a Bible study group in college, and then uh, got, in, got to knowing some of Dr. John R. Rice's family and had an impact on my life. I remember going out as I was starting to win souls. Back in my hometown, Racine, Wisconsin, went down on the street, looked around, trying to find people to lead to Christ, led two sailor boys to Christ. We're up for a couple of hours, a day or something on a Saturday evening uh, from Great Lakes Naval Base led them to Christ on the street there. And uh, they talked to them, wanted to get them to come to church. They said they couldn't come, wouldn't come. You know, they're going back to base, couldn't come to church. Went over to my pastor's house. Talked to my pastor's wife, Dr. John R. Rice's daughter. That was, uh, pastor was his son-in-law, Charles Himes. Mrs. Himes said to me, Jim, where you been? I was 19, something like that at the time. What you been doing? I said, well, I, I was down doing street work, witnessing. And uh, she said, how did it go? I said, well, oh, I had two saved, but I don't know that I accomplished much. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, they're from the naval base. They're going back tonight, can't come to church, won't be able to uh, disciple them and so on. And uh, she said, yeah, I understand what you mean. Two people that were on their way to hell. 
where they were going to burn forever and ever and ever. And now they're on their way to heaven. Going to walk on streets of gold. Didn't accomplish much, huh? I said, I got what you mean. And I believe in following up converts, and I believe in trying to get everybody in church and everybody growing Christ. And you know, there's a lot of people you lead to Christ that wound up, wind up getting in church and growing in Christ that you don't know about. But on the other hand, if they never grow in Christ, if they're saved, they're on their way to heaven. And according to the Bible I have, once you're saved, you're always saved. God gives you eternal life. I mean, if it starts and stops, it wasn't very eternal, was it? I mean, he that won his souls is wise. You're changing an eternal destiny of that child, of that teenager, of that adult. You know, sometimes we have young people, teenagers, whatever, killed around here in the area. They get murdered or something. I mean, you know, Lexington's a place, safe place to live, but something will happen or somebody will die. And I'll get a note from the church secretary, Brother Johnson and I do. And they'll say, do you have any record of this young person being saved? They, were, uh, they died recently or murdered or something like that. And you look up and you say, yeah, you know, think of one we had like that had come from Winchester, where we run a bus, have for about 10 years now, a little town nearby. Bus came in that Sunday. I sent Brother Fugit a note and said, well, yeah, I found a record. Wasn't really a very good day on the bus. We went all the way to Winchester. I think brought, only brought in like 17. But one of them was that girl, and she got saved. Amen. Now she's in heaven. And that happens again and again and again in this city. But you know what? Everybody that gets saved or doesn't get saved is going to die someday. You know, we look at that, you get a note in the paper, and you say, oh, yeah, that 14-year-old, they got saved when they were 10. But every 10-year-old is going to die someday. Why don't you have a the wise person wins souls? You think about changing an eternal destiny. You think about the worth of a soul. Bible says, what shall it profit a man if you gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I mean, the soul is worth more than all the world. Wise people win souls. You think about Christ's death. Christ died to pay for our salvation, to pay for souls. That ought to make a soul very valuable. You think about the fact of hell, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Bible teaches heaven is a place. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, I'm looking forward to going to a place that will be a perfect place and much better than this. Sin will be gone. We'll serve God e eternally with perfect bodies, perfect souls, and no more carnal nature. Heaven is a place, but so is hell. Jesus talked about hell as much as anybody else in the Bible. Hell is in the Bible. It's a place of fire. You know, the Bible says, the rich man said, you know, talk to my brothers and so on, that they come, lest they come to this place. I am tormented in this place. Somebody said, well, I'm having a tough time on earth. Well, I'm sorry you're having a tough time on earth, but that's not hell. Hell is thousands of times worse than whatever the worst time you're going through here. There isn't anything as bad as hell. The fact of hell ought to make us want to win souls. 
disappointments of this. He that in his souls is wise because of the disappointments of this world. You know, it doesn't matter what you invest your life in here, if it's something in this world. I mean, good or bad, you know, things that would not be wrong or sinful, uh, but you spend your life building a business, you spend your life making money, you spend your life, you know, whatever. You die, it's gone. What lasts forever is soul. And you know, pretty much, the disappointments of this world, that money goes away. I mean, it, it just doesn't last. If you manage to hang on to it all the way to the end, you're still going to die and leave it. Pharaohs put it in the tombs, but it was still there when they opened the pyramids. You can have somebody stuff it in your casket, but it'll be in the grave. It's not going with you. The disappointments of this world, whether it comes to money or pleasure or fame, and people that were famous and had great days and, and uh, tremendous success and so on, and world's attitude is, what have you done for me lately? I mean, who can even remember who was vice president of the United States 50 years ago? I mean, he's vice president of the United States. You'd think everybody know that fame disappears. You know why you're wise if you win souls? Because it's eternal. Why would you want to spend your life working for something that's going to disappear? Working, laboring for money to put it into a bag with holes? He that wins souls is wise because of rewards in heaven. You know, be like Jesus. Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. Hey, I mean, I don't know. I want to get something that's got eternal reward. Somebody gives you money and you go buy a stock and you put investments in something here or you buy, invest in something else. And you got $10,000 in the stock market and it's up five, you know, $50 today. And you say, oh, wow, you know, hey, I made 50 bucks. I didn't do anything. Tomorrow it goes down 100. Then it goes up 30. Then it goes down 40. Then it goes up 200. Then it goes down. What's the security of that? Why would you want to spend your life? And I'm not against having investments. If you have stocks, God bless you. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with being wealthy, but why would that be a purpose of your life? I mean, my goal is to stack up more pieces of green paper than somebody else does. That's a goal of my life. And there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. And, uh, you know, well, my dear friends, Russell Anderson, multi, multi millionaire, I don't, given, I don't remember, 35, 50, 45 something million dollars to God's work. Literally seeing millions of souls saved a year through money he gives into God's work and soul winning programs on mission fields. Nothing wrong with being wealthy. But why would the accumulation of money be your goal? I mean, it's just, that's not real smart. That's not wise. He that wins souls is wise. And by the way, Brother Anderson is a personal soul winner in addition to giving money to pay others to win souls. He wins people to Christ all the time. 
You're talking about rewards in heaven. Why don't you want to lay up rewards in heaven where they're just secure? Down here, moss and and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal. You get rewards there. I mean, they're there forever. And the, the, the things in this life disappear. There's nothing to them. There's not going to be anything to them after a while. Uh, you ought to win souls. He that wins souls is wise. Let me say also, you ought to win souls to try and help save this country. I believe as firmly as I'm standing here, the Bible teaches that God spares societies in response to the righteous lives of his people. I believe the reason America got Donald Trump and the reason we have the religious freedom we have today and the reason that uh, you know, everything seems to be going our way, the, polit- the freedom to preach and not worry about getting put in jail or anything else, I, you know, I believe it's, it's not because of a politician. It's because of the righteous, because of the righteous remnant in this country. Brother Fugit said last night, you know, politicians may say, boy, you know, what we're doing in Washington or Frankfurt, our state capital, or your state capital is more important because we're protecting your right to free speech. And I'm for that. I'm, for, I'm glad for what they do. But the most important thing is not what the politician does. It's what you and I do in soul winning and teaching people to live for God. You look at the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 18, 23, 24. Uh, Abraham says to God, would you spare the city if I could find 50 righteous in the city? And God says, sure, I'll spare it for 50. Abraham gets nervous. He said, man, I don't know if there's 50 there. God, would you take 45? He says, sure. How about 40? Sure. 30? Yes. 20? Yes. 10? Yes. Abraham stopped at 10. I don't know why. I think the reason he stopped at 10 is because I think there were 10 in Lot's family. I know I had Lot and Mrs. Lot. I had a couple of unsaved daughters. That's four. It says he had married daughters. I think the Hebrew and other, I think he had three married daughters, three sons-in-law. That'd be six. Uh, Two unmarried daughters, him and his wife. I think there were 10 in Lot's family. And Lot and Abraham thought, man, I've got it. God's going to spare the city for 10 righteous people. Of course, when Lot went to his daughters and sons-in-law, they laughed at him and said, to me, one of the saddest things in the Bible, Dad, Lot, you're telling us that God spoke to you? (laughs) That's funny. How sad. He seemed as one that mocked, the Bible says. They thought he was joking. So there weren't 10 righteous. God judged the city. But God would have spared the city of Sodom, which was a great city, a large city, according to the Bible. I don't know how large. I don't know the numbers or the proportion, but God would have spared it for 10. I believe the secret to sparing the societies today is the righteous lives of God's people. I want to challenge you to help build a righteous remnant in this country. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 11 says, uh, by the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted. Hey, that's the same fact. How did the city get exalted? Because there wasn't as much sin? No, it was because of the blessing of the upright. God didn't say to Abraham, hey, if you can go down there and speak to those, I mean, people in Sodom, Sodomites, 
That's where we get the name. You can speak to those sodomites and get them to be less sinful, get them to be less blatant, get them not to uh, be so, you know, get them to tone back and cut back and pass new laws to outlaw some of their immoral and anti-God behavior, then I'll spare the city. That isn't what God said. And the salvation of America doesn't depend on getting the sinners to be less sinful. It depends on the Christians honoring God and building a righteous remnant. I'm thoroughly convinced of that. Uh, again, Proverbs 11, 11, by the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, the city, the country, that area. America is going to be blessed by the upright that are in this country. You think about Joseph and Potiphar. God blessed Potiphar's house because of Joseph, a righteous man living there and serving God. You look at most any of the Old Testament kings, those that honored God, God blessed the nation. It doesn't have to do. Now, I, again, I'm not getting against getting involved in politics. Used to be very involved in it. I still write small checks every once in a while to political causes. And, uh, you know, gave five bucks to talking about dinner with the president, gave five dollars to a Donald Trump thing a while back, got a couple bumper stickers for it. And now I keep getting texts. The president wants to meet with you, Jim. Would you please come to dinner? Just enter here to donate and be on the list and you could win dinner with the president. I'd rather have dinner with this president. And I'm not, you know, I got one yesterday today that said Melania wants to have dinner with you. Please enter here for a chance to win. I'm not against giving. I mean, I, I do give some to political causes, not, nothing like I give to God's work, not even close. But I do give some, and I spend some time on that kind of thing. You know, I'll, I may walk a precinct, make some phone calls, do something to try to get Bible-believing candidates elected. But that isn't the emphasis of my life, and that isn't what's going to save this country. What's going to save this country is a righteous remnant. Now, I don't have, to be honest with you, and maybe I should have more faith, I don't have much hope of getting the sinners to be less sinful. I don't have much hope that the you know, crowd that I preached up against this morning, and uh, they're going to somehow walk back and take back their demands, and uh, people will stop wanting to kill babies. And I, I, I don't know that any of that's going to happen. I don't know that I could influence that. Maybe I should have more faith. But I do believe that if I keep going and I keep trying and we keep training preachers and teachers and assistant pastors at places like Commonwealth Baptist College and other fundamental Baptist colleges around this country and we get young people to go out and serve God, we can continue to build a righteous remnant in this country. And uh, I, you ought to win souls. It be God spares society in, the, in answer to the righteous lives of his people. I want to challenge you today, teenagers, to help build that righteous remnant. You say, Brother Jorgensen, you say I ought to be a preacher, I ought to come to Bible school. Well, I'm going to get to that later. But right now, I'm saying as a teenager, there's no reason you can't win souls. 
My wife and I went out. We visited on a bus route Saturday as we do just about every Saturday. We're in Lexington. Visited on a bus route this past Saturday. We had an 11-year-old boy saved. Now, if you had an 11-year-old boy saved last Saturday, that counts as much as mine did. As far as that goes, teenagers, it may be easier for you to win 11-year-old boys to Christ than it is for people that look old and wonder what they're doing. And maybe easier for you. No reason you can't win souls. You can't have a part in this. Not a matter of waiting. Well, I, okay, I'll think about going to Bible college. If I go to Bible college, then I, maybe I'll go out in the ministry or maybe I won't. You ought to win souls today. You ought to win souls this week. There's no reason you have to wait. He that winneth souls is wise. So he who got the best grades is wise. I think you ought to work and get good grades. I mean, I've been in college work for forever. Abraham Lincoln was president. Noah had just gotten off the ark when I started in college work. I think you ought to study and try and get good grades. But if you're getting straight A's and don't win souls, you're not wise. I mean, how long is that transcript going to last? The souls you win to Christ will last for eternity. And uh, you, know, you ought to get involved in that kind of thing. You don't need to put off getting involved. You know, as a young person, you ought to stand for right in your youth group. You ought to stand for holiness. Say, well, you don't know my youth group. I got some kids in there. I mean, I'd like to do right, and I'd like to stand for right, but I got kids in there that aren't right. And that's true of every youth group in the country. I mean, I don't know who, and I, you know, you say, Brother Jordan, you accuse, I mean, you take any large group of people, you got somebody in there somewhat backslidden. I mean, that'd be true of our Bible college, true of every Bible college in the country. You got somebody in there, it's not what they ought to be. Now, they're here, and that says something for them. But, but you ought to stand for God in your youth group. You ought to stand for God for holiness and soul winning and get involved in bus ministry. You can do all that as a teenager. You don't have to wait until you're in Bible college or out of Bible college or 40 years old. As far as that goes, you ought to spend your life winning souls. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's more to being a Christian than showing up at church three times a week, putting 10% of your your salary in the offering plate and going home. Now, you know, you certainly, if you're a good Christian, you certainly ought to show up at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, at Wednesday night. You ought to put 10% of your salary in the offering plate. But there's more to it than that. You ought to be a soul winner. You ought to be involved in something, getting the gospel to people and trying to lead people to Christ and get them into church. Again, if they don't come to church, they're still saved forever. A lot of times it seems like the ones I witness to the most aren't the ones that come to church, but then somebody else shows up. God has a way of saying it isn't your work, but I'm going to bless your work. So you say, well, they just show up. I guess there's no point in me going. Then they quit showing up. God blesses the soul winner. 
You ought to be a soul winner today. You need God's power on your life now. You don't want to wait until later. And you can make, you can make you know, an eternal difference in the life of a soul. You can make a difference in our country. I mean, you know, if we had 50 states, if we had 50 churches in every state and every one of them ran 50, I mean, at some point that gets to be quite a few folks. And if they ran 100, I mean, I, I think we make a difference. And I thoroughly believe that as I look at this nation, I look at what's happened over the last five years or so, and the space of grace that God has given us, it's in answer to the righteous lives of God's people and the righteous remnant that has been built by preaching like this man and so many others do, and by preaching in churches of 50 and 75 and 150 and 250 all over this country. It's a matter of going out and leading people to Christ. As a teenager, you ought to be a soul winner. As a teenager, you ought to lead your youth group to righteousness. As a teenager, you ought to pray for the power of God on your life. You ought to look at Luke 11 and say, you know, even so shall your heavenly Father, where it says, even so shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him. And you ought to pray for the power of God on your life. Pray that God would use you. And I challenge you today, I'll go a step further, and now here comes the, you know, the other part you're saying, I challenge you, just give your life to the ministry. I mean, again, my testimony, I've given bits of it here and there. Went to a large public high school, graduated 700 in my senior class. Went off to Princeton University. Stayed there four years, majored in mathematics. Wrote my senior thesis on representations of crystallographic groups. Boy, doesn't that sound exciting. <laughs> I had options open to me. Not like I became a preacher because it was all I could do. But I just figured, why do I want to go make money for somebody else when there are people dying and going to hell? I was thinking I'd get married and go be a missionary someplace. People had never heard. Thought maybe about, heard about upper, the upper Amazon and cities of, I think it was 50,000 and so on, with no gospel witness. Had been to Guatemala and out in the bush there some in summer and stayed in a mud house with a dirt floor. and It was a good high-class mud house, though, because it had a tin roof. That walls were mud and straw, dirt floor. I thought maybe I told my wife as we were dating that maybe, you know, I think God's called me a missionary, maybe Upper Amazon, that may be where we live. If that's not okay with you, it's good to say so now. She said, anywhere, just to be with you. That's what she said. And I'm sure as I'm standing here today that it was not God's will for me to go to the upper Amazon or a mission field that I've been in God's will serving him all these years. But I was fair, man, I want to win souls. I want to see people saved. I want to get some rewards in heaven. I don't want to stand with Brother Fugit and Brother Davis and Brother Young. They've got crowns to throw at Jesus' feet. And I say, well, I got saved. I made it. I want to have something to give him. 
praise God, over 50 years, there's well over a thousand preachers that I've had a part in training every Sunday that stand to preach the Word of God, including in Brazil and who knows how many countries all over the world. I mean, so I, brother, when did God, you know, I don't know when God called me to full-time minister. I just figured, man, why don't I want to spend my time serving God? Somebody said, well, God isn't speaking to me. How do you expect him to speak to you? God, are you going to speak to me? I can't hear you. What are you saying, God? I'm listening to this music over here. You're not speaking to me. Reading these books, that's not speaking to me. You want to hear God speak to you? Try this. I heard God speaking. You know what he said? All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Yeah, that's what he said. Isn't that God's word to you? That was God's word to me. Isn't that God's word? I said, well, what does it pay, Brother Jordan? I said, I don't know. It didn't say. Don't care. So God, are, are, you, are you speaking? You want to hear God speak? Oh, you know what I heard him say? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Oh, how else do you expect God to speak to you? Oh, I think I'll hear a voice. I'll just get a feeling. Why don't you listen to God's word? Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Okay, the most I can do to do that is I guess what God wants me to do. You know what God said? He said, he that winneth souls is wise. God, I won't be wise. I'm going to try and win. You know what else he said? Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moss and, moss and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but lay up treasures in heaven. Work for something that's got eternal value. Now, you you want to hear God speaking to you? He speaks all the time. Again, I, I just, my testimony, I, I don't know when God said, Jim, I want you to do this. I'm calling you to do that. I read his book and it said, go and preach the gospel to every creature. And I figured the best way, I, I'm going to try and do that best I can. I had John R. Rice's testimony and you, you listen to him, you read it in his books. Founder of the sword of the Lord, one of the great men of the 20th century. Evangelist, soul winner, author. When did God call you to preach, Dr. Rice? I don't know. So why have you been preaching all this time? He said, well, I was down at the Pacific Garden Mission. I was teaching English at the University of Chicago. That was my job. I was teaching English there at the University of Chicago. And I went down to the Pacific Garden Mission one night. Had part in a service, and some man came forward, just an old, disheveled, dirty, un, you know, physically unclean. Came forward. I knelt down beside him and led him to the Lord. And I thought, well, that's pretty good. I went back the next night, Dr. Rice says, and there was a neat, clean-shaven, good-looking guy came up to me and said, 
buddy, I want to thank you for talking to me last night. And he said, I, who are you? He said, you, you talked to me last night. He said, no, I didn't. I don't know who you are. He said, no, you talked to me last night, and you told me the gospel. And, how I, and I said, are you? Are you? Are you the one that was? He said, yeah, that was me. Dr. Rice said, God, this sure better than teaching English. <laughs> Think I'm going to do this the rest of my life. Right. Dr. Rice used to say, man, you know, some preachers say, man, God, as long as you pay my bills and feed me and take good care of me and so on, I'm going to serve you. Dr. Rice used to say, God, you're not going to get rid of me that easy. I'm just going to serve you. You pay my bills, I'm going to serve you. You don't pay my bills, I live well, I don't live well. God, I want to serve you with my life. He said, I'm going to take the long look. I want to be wise. I want to spend my life doing something that will amount to something for God. Brother Fugit preached last night about sins and things pulling you out of the will of God. And one of the tragedies of sin is it keeps you from doing what God wants you to do. You know, there's other things that we don't look as specifically as sins that can keep you out of the God's will also. One of the biggest tragedies of sin is it keeps you from doing what you ought to do. If a devil can get you to be a dopehead or a drunkard or whatever, you know, that's going to keep you from doing what God wants you to do. But on the other hand, if God can, if, you know, you say, well, okay, but I, I'm just going to be a respectable citizen, but I'm not going to do what God wants me to do. I'm not going to go so God, the devil doesn't care why you don't, what you're doing instead of God's will. He just doesn't want you doing God's will. You know, I don't think there's anything watch, wrong with watching college basketball or football. But if I stay home all Saturday, every day, uh, every Saturday and watch college basketball, I'm not soul winning. I'm not on a bus route. I think devil's just as happy if I'm sitting home watching football when I ought to be out on a bus route as if I'm down at the bar when I ought to be out on the bus route. The devil doesn't care where I am when I'm not. He's just glad I'm not trying to win souls. Some of you, well, I just think I want to go into business. I want to do this. I want to do that. Why don't you just listen to God? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you, God said. Go ye therefore and preach the gospel to everybody. Why don't you listen to God and spend your life investing in something that will have eternal value? With eternity, we used to sing a little song at camp sometimes, with eternity's values in view, Lord, with eternity's values in view. May I live each day unto Jesus with eternity's values in view. Why don't you live in light of what's going to matter in eternity? I had a little poem. Uh, All want their lives to count for something, to leave their mark when earth life is through. But vain pursuits will count for nothing. Time will erase whate'er we do. I want my life to count for Jesus. For earthly things will quickly fade. No need to add to earthly riches. I only seek eternal gain. Inside my heart there burned a question, what was I placed on earth here for? It truly was to build a kingdom not of my own but of the Lord's. I want my life to count for Jesus, for earthly things will quickly fade. No need to add to earthly riches. 
I only seek eternal gain. Spend your life on something that's eternal. Be wise. Don't trade it for something's going to end in a year or five years or 50 years or 80 years. 100 years from tonight, every one of us will be in heaven forever, hopefully. Maybe a few in this size crowd in hell forever. Hope not. Live in light of the fact that you're going to be in heaven forever. I want reward. I want to do something for Jesus. I want to make a difference for him. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd speak to hearts. Help all of us, young people, middle-aged, older, not spend our life accumulating riches or power or position, but to live with eternity's values in view. Help us see the worth of a soul and to win souls because he that winneth souls is certainly wise. Help us to understand your wisdom and live for you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.